With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. What up, folks? Welcome in. It is Sharp Money here on VSIN, the sports betting network, live from the D. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Patrick Maher, Amal Shaw, and Dustin Swedelson, both here in their usual spots. And we come off of a very, I would say, boring to the point where I, last night, I'm actually kind of proud of myself. I, old man, fell asleep on the couch while watching Duke Clemson. How about that? Like in an awkward, weird position to the point where I woke up and my, my, my shoulder was sore. Not really surprised based on the way the game played out. I mean, it, it, first of all, outside of the first possession of the second half, it didn't seem like Duke was going to get much into Clemson territory. And then Clemson would take the ball inside the 10-yard line, miss field goal, fumble, fumble. Have a nice day. Yeah, it was pretty bad. For the final score, the Duke Blue Devils get the win over the Clemson Tigers. By the way, the theory that I brought up yesterday, hey, Florida State getting the big win, opens the door potentially for two ACC teams. Uh, that gets slammed shut yesterday with a Clemson loss. Oh, it's still open. Duke, oh, Duke, Duke yeah. has a chance. Uh, Miami, I guess, right? <laughs> Miami could no. get a win over Texas A&M no, and finally don't. become the team that we all expected them to be. Um, this was... Amal, I'm glad you brought this up. This is, again, one of those losses. that We saw many of these, and we usually see them in college football. Everybody likes to use the V-word variance, and there was quite a bit of this in this game. When you miss multiple kicks, whether it's via blocks or just outright shanks, when you turn the ball over multiple times in the red zone, you're going to lose games, but you were much more, we'll call it, competitive than what the final result would indicate. In terms of yardage, you outgained Duke. In terms of third downs, you were better 7 of 15 compared to 5 of 15. Like, there were instances where you're looking at this and you can paint the picture of, hey, Clemson probably should have been in this more, probably should have had a lead at some point, maybe even could have won this game. So I am very interested as we watch games like this what the market likes to do because on the surface it's fun to go, ha-ha, Clemson's out of this, they suck, Dabo Swinney's out of it, he has no idea what he's doing anymore. But there is some nuance to a game like this even though it's a lopsided 28-7 win. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A couple of big takeaways for me for this game. When I look at it, I don't think Cade Klubnik Klubnik is the guy long-term. Here's the problem. Never threw the ball down the field. The offensive line was solid, wasn't great, wasn't elite, but it was good enough to give him some opportunities. They don't have great perimeter guys necessarily, but let me tell you, when you look at uh, Will Shipley and Phil Moffa, they've got a great combination there. They should have utilized them more. Shipley had over 100 yards. His prop yesterday was 84 and a half. And, of course, I allowed the odd, odds makers to uh, shy me away on that one. I'm like, this guy is too good. He's too talented. It was the first game of the season, Dustin, as he shakes his head correctly in saying I should have made the play. But to me, you look at this team. 
defensively, I thought there was going to eventually be a drop-off when Venables left. I still think Venables is the best defensive coordinator in college football. And it's, this is the second year now. You're starting to see some of the mistakes. That run that you look at Riley had for a touchdown, uh, JVT and, and Dustin, that would have never happened against Venable's old defense. They would have never given up a 44-yard run when you got them stopped on third down and short, would have forced a punt. The ineptitude in the red zone with Clade, uh, uh, Cade Klubnik? Yeah, Klubnik. I was going to say go. Klubnik. I want, I want to go Klub a lot of the times, but it's, yeah, it's Club. You'll get it. They're going to be looking to club him pretty soon if he continues to perform the way he did. But overall, down this for murdering team, college kids for performing poorly. No, I'm just talking about hitting him with a bowling okay. pin. Just a quick club. Uh, how, how, how much of the struggles on defense was from that offense just letting them down the red zone and more possessions and the turnovers? and The defense, the defense kept getting put in bad spots, having to make up for the fact the offense couldn't punch it in. The defense, in my opinion, gave up 14 points. Right, they gave a, the short field after the fumble, and then the last touchdown was one where you already defeated down twenty-one to seven. I don't look at that. That as was kind of my point. The, yeah. the, the last one was a defeated touchdown. It's over. We've kind of been through this, you know, a few times now. We got nothing left, guys. Yeah. I but, mean, to, to the point. It, Duke had 5.8 yards per play. It's about just slightly above average, so it's not the worst defensive performance. It's not the best defensive performance. But to your point, as the game goes along and you're consistently getting let down, go back to last year with the Denver Broncos, right? At one point, the Broncos were so good defensively, and then you, you keep having your offense just go out there and give you nothing, where eventually the stats are going to get watered down because you're just out there all the time, and eventually you're going to get taxed. So I, I thought that was kind of part of what you're alluding to there. Yeah, you're absolutely right, both of you guys, in terms of what you're talking about. But I'll tell you, for me, the big takeaway in this is, let's say Clemson capitalized on their opportunities in the red zone. Two touchdowns on two fumbles and a field goal that was shanked from, what, 26 yards or even less than that. Um, so that's 17 points. But the first touchdown they got, that was on Duke. Should have never fielded the football there. What are you saving? Three yards on that bounce? It wasn't like it was some earth-shattering bounce that was going to go back 20 yards. The risk versus the reward isn't there in that situation. A bad play by Duke allows uh, Clemson to get seven points. More importantly, though, when I look at this team, you know, we talked about this. By the way, JBT, I'm sorry. I've been saving this one. You said, well, they don't have Garrett Riley as their OC. Thank God TCU didn't have Garrett Riley as their OC on Saturday. They might have only scored 14 points. They got the ball first and go at the one-yard line. I, too, like to judge entire things off of one game. No. Hey, hold on a second. That's a fair, that's a fair rebuttal. But you, you mentioned to me that they didn't have their offensive coordinator. Yes. So I wanted to talk about his ineptitude today at what he did at Clemson. Wait, but you hold on. Okay, I'll give you one back. Go ahead. Which one is it? Is it Klubnik or is it the offensive coordinator? Because to your point, when you're looking at this offensive production and what uh, what he did, Klubnik yesterday, 43 attempts, 21 of them were nine yards downfield or behind the line of scrimmage, no yeah. further than nine yards downfield or behind the line of scrimmage. That's a lot of dinking and dunking and nonsense. That could be play calling. That could also be your quarterback failing to actually give the uh, get the opportunities he was given. Well, that's a fair point. So that's on Garrett Riley, but to me, when I look at it. Come on, come on. <laughs> reel it back in. Hold on yeah. one second. On defense. On defense. <laughs> what I'm saying, a couple things. They had the ball first and goal at the one-yard line when Shipley got tackled at the one-yard line. Mm -hmm. What did they decide to do? They didn't go inside handoff to Phil Maffa. They decided, we're going to run a play with Klubnik. We're going to circle back, and he slips and falls and loses five yards. Then they end up missing the field goal. Garrett Riley's not taking shots down the field because, to me, it shows in practice. This is a guy that's not throwing the ball down the field. He's not pushing the ball down the field. I, I don't know about you guys. I saw a lot of DG DJ Uangalale yes, yes. yesterday in Cade Clubbing in the sense that he does not look free. He does not look comfortable. He is very scared to make a play and make a mistake. There are not a lot of risks being taken. And in the red zone, he just looked so tentative, and that's what led to the turnover. So, so let's play an exercise here. So DJU is gone. Offensive coordinator is gone. Yep. New offensive coordinator is in. What's the common denominator? 
Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney. Yep. Let's hear from Dabo after the game about the loss to Duke. We just self-imploded in some critical situations. And, again, um, you got to finish. And, and it was routine stuff. I mean, the basics, the basics, the fundamentals, you know, ball handling, uh, just some basic, basic stuff, not jumping offside on first and goal from the one. Uh, you know, basic stuff. And, you know, that's, that's you know, it's just, it's a, again, it's the weirdest game I've ever been a part of. I mean, I've been beat. I've had my butt kicked many times in my career, but I, I, I can't, I can honestly say I haven't, I, that's, that's one of the strangest games I've ever been a part of. Word of the day for Dabo, basic. Is Clemson now back to being a basic program? I think Clemson's getting, looks like they're getting ready to be relegated to where they were for about 40 years after Danny Ford won the national title in, what was it, 81? And then they disappeared for a long time for about 30-plus years. Look, he had two generational quarterbacks in Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence at the collegiate level. They were incredible players. But They're going to say Taj Boyd. <laughs> Taj Boyd wasn't bad, he but was nice. No, he was the hey, he, he was, was the beginning. The, he was the beginning. He Taj was the and beginning C- of the, Taj yep. and CJ Spiller. Yep. Yeah. And absolutely. Sammy Watkins. Yeah. It's, it's, How did they not win at all? Because uh, because you got to play defense and you got to have other guys, the other 19 guys, to have to be able to play, and that's the problem here. You know, they're good in certain positions, but they're not good across the board. Um, I'll tell you what. The one thing we're not talking about, Mike Elko and that defense deserve a ton of credit. Mm-hmm. Look, I know a couple of those turnovers were unforced to one. Klubnik pulls the ball back and Shipley fumbles the ball, and then uh, you have the missed field goal. That's 10 points there. But, again, they got gifted seven points on that fumble on the punt return. To me, though, Mike Elko's defense really showed up and showed out. I think uh, Leonard Riley is going to be a tremendous quarterback. Uh, Riley Leonard, excuse me. I feel like if his name was Leonard Riley, he'd be a middle linebacker. Yeah, R- Riley, Riley Leonard, Leonard is a quarterback. quarterback. Thank you. Anyway, uh, he's going to be effective against a lot of these other ACC teams. They're going to be just fine. But, look, this does not come as much of a surprise for me with Clemson in terms of the inconsistency. I thought they were going to have a great year. I'm not saying that because I thought their alternate win total was in play, JBT. But it shouldn't come as a shock, though, in certain areas they haven't improved. I will just say this. Riley Leonard's athleticism is awesome. And, again, he's much like – I think one of you called him, like again, like another um, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Jones. Right. And that's really what it is. Because we are criticizing Kate Klubnick for, right, the lack of shots downfield and whatnot. Average depth of target for Klubnick was 5.6 yards downfield. It was 5.4. But it was working. Right. That's the difference. I mean, he got a 60-point passing grade from PFF. It wasn't incredible. No, but the difference is he's playing Clemson's defense. He's playing Duke's defense. That's a, Okay, and that's a fair point. I mean, like, the, the, my big takeaway is, like, how did you guys get to work today? Like, how did you get here to downtown Vegas? Like, did what, you get one with a fire in your what, belly? What what uh what what mode of, of transportation did you use? Automobile. Automobile. Yeah, see, Dabo Sweeney's still using a horse and buggy <laughs> because the world has evolved in college football oh. and he's failing to do so. I gotta tell you, the, the we'll we'll have an old clip from Dabo coming up a little bit later in the show, but uh, the whole shtick is probably gonna wear thin at some point when you're when you're losing games. The whole country said we have these needs. We're going to address it in the transfer portal because those are the rules. We're going to offer money because we're allowed to now. Dabo Sweeney said, you know what, guys? We're going to run it back even though we failed short of our goal a year ago. You know, it's funny you said that. You bring up a great point because I was watching Will Shipley last night. Will Shipley, I remember he was a big-time five-star recruit when he got there. He's had a good career at Clemson, but I'm telling you right now, if he went to Alabama, 
to Georgia, to Ohio State, to Michigan. This guy would have been in New York City already. He would have had 1,500-plus yards. We would have talked about him in a different way, in a different manner. It's unbelievable to me, JVT, how Shipley's the <laughs> Listen, he makes great plays for you consistently, and this is a perfect example of Clemson football the last season plus. They get the ball at the one-yard line. No, no, we're not going to give it to Shipley or Maffa. We're going to go with our quarterback. Well, Charleston Southern gets Clemson on the bounce back here next week, so we'll see if they can actually do that for Duke. By the way, they get Lafayette next week, so we'll see what that looks like. All right, when we come back, we do have to hit up the National Football League because we did get some big news, and it is impactful. The first game of the NFL season coming up on Thursday, guys, the Kansas City Chiefs looking to open up the season. However, a little bit of injury news. Travis Kelsey seems like a hyperextended knee, so we'll see if that is going to be pretty impactful uh, as we move forward into that and as we look at the market and what it's going to do. But... I know you guys weren't excited for it. The NFL's coming up here in a couple of days. I'm kind of back in. I'm kind of back in. I was doing some modeling earlier today, and I was like, boy, oh, boy. I'm ready Frontal? to go. Uh, no, rear, actually. It's, uh, they really like it. You do it on the back end. All right, we'll come back. We'll hit up the Kansas City Chiefs and the opening day in the National Football League. we we'll return here on Sharp Money. is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. A lot of stuff for you to use up on the website. One of those, the betting splits. You get money and bets for every single game. They're updated every 10 minutes. And guess what? They're from DraftKings, and they're not just for today's games, but future events as well. Betting splits, another way VSIN's here to help. Check them out today. Betting splits for every game at vsin.com. We're out here live at the D. Now, walking in, the environment's fantastic. You know, early Vegas, guys in, like, Borat thongs looking for people to take pictures with. Environment, though, I don't think as uh, wild, would we say, last night after that Duke-Clemson game. Let's uh, get a read on it. Dave Harding's with us, Duke radio analyst Dave Harding Jr. up on X. Uh, how was it, man? What was the environment like after that big win last night for the Blue Devils? No, it was uh, – it, I don't know if it was Borat level, but it was pretty crazy. Um, they They – had plenty of time to plan it out, too, as uh, the Blue Devils started to pull away in the fourth quarter. So a little different of a field storm, if you will, because you know, oftentimes you see the people jumping over the side of the stadium to get to the field once the clock strikes zero. They were already stacked up along the end zone and the sidelines, almost like standing room only hit level area of a concert and just take in the field as soon as the game was over. A wild scene and something that Duke hasn't been able to pull off and beating a top 10 AP opponent since 1989, so certainly worthy of celebration. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that going back 34 years. Mike Elko and the job he's done has just been absolutely tremendous. In the loss, I thought the one thing that got a little bit lost in the shuffle overall was the performance of the defense. Just talk to me a little bit about what your expectations of this team are on the defensive side of the ball and what they could potentially look to accomplish in the ACC this year. Yeah, you know, week one, there's always some uncertainty going in um, just with some new faces. They brought in several transfers in the secondary um, players that had experience elsewhere, both in the SEC, SEC, Big Ten. Um, and so you, you didn't really know how they were going to integrate in with the team. The defensive line was one where I think you could confidently say the Blue Devils 
felt good, especially with the interior defensive line. But I thought the way that they played complete defense, bringing all different levels of the, the front, that middle area, linebacker, middle of the field coverage, and then deep coverage in the passing game was impressive. And one of the better defensive performances we've seen out of the Blue Devils. Also, it's important to note the turnover battle that occurred during the game. The first half, Blue Devils giving up two turnovers in the second half, and this is when it really got crazy. You know, Clemson finding their way down the field several times, and the Duke defense finding a way to force fumbles. Um, interception taking place really to, to ice the game at the very end, but the Duke defense helping their offense out after a few miscues and taking the football away and ending the day in the positive side of the turnover mark. Duke radio analyst Dave Harding with us. So, Dave, how do we realistically look at this game without taking away from Duke? And what I mean by that is, right, there were some variants in this for Clemson as well when we're talking about multiple missed kicks, the red zone turnovers. So how do you evaluate a game like this where I don't think the final score really indicated how the game played out, but without taking away from what that Duke defensive performance was specifically? Yeah, that's a really hard question to answer. I've struggled with it myself because, you know, on, on one side you say, okay, Clemson had miscues and they – should have had more points, should have been a closer game, especially in the fourth quarter. They let several opportunities slip through fingers. On the other side of things, Duke wasn't perfect either, and they had several miscues on their end, namely giving up the seven points that they did. If they had not muffed a punt return and turned the football over after forcing Clemson to punt and getting them off the field, you could make the argument that it would have been a complete shutout. Obviously, one thing typically will have a cause and effect on on later parts and other parts of the game, but so it's kind of a, it's a it's tough to get a feel for. One thing I do know is the Clemson offense moved the ball up and down the field. They had over 200 yards passing, over 200 yards rushing. They were effective. They just didn't have any of the big home run plays and scoring plays that you need. Wild to see that a second half, entire second half, there was no punt uh, or score for Clemson. And I, I don't know the last time I've been associated with a game where a team did not punt or score. Um, so uh, uh, definitely tough to get a feel for what Clemson is capable of. I think they're going to have to find a go-to receiver. Kate Klubnick has to get more comfortable. There were a few opportunities early in the game where Duke dropped interceptions and so he's got to get a little bit more uh in with garrett riley the new offensive coordinator system and um at this point i think all you can do is credit the duke defense because that's one thing we know that they played very well and um it's kind of one of the few variables in a wild game that you can kind of rest assured that they seem to be solid Dave, you mentioned the Duke offense have got some things to improve upon, but to me, I thought this is arguably the toughest defense they're going to potentially face all year. How well does that bode for this offense and what they're potentially capable of doing based on last year's performance? Yeah, you know, I think it all comes down to Riley Leonard, the quarterback, uh, you know, starting to get a little bit more attention uh, after the season that he had a year ago. And then this game, I mean, he explodes onto the scene. I think that they still have a next level that they can achieve from a consistency standpoint. If you were watching the game in the second half, there were several instances where 
In fact, back-to-back series where the Blue Devils went three and out, some inaccurate passes by Ryan Leonard, forcing the defense to be on the field a little bit longer. And so I think as a complete game, when you when you survey what that needs to look like, there is a little bit more consistency that need that they need to find. From a big play opportunity standpoint, they've got most of their productivity from a season ago returning at wide receiver, running back room is stacked. And then again, Riley Leonard had arguably the highlight of the night in a game that had all sorts of crazy plays, a 44-yard touchdown run where he looked like he was completely dead in the rights, tackled for a loss, works his way out of an arm tackle, tight ropes down the uh, the sideline and gets into the end zone. So whenever he's on the field, when he's a signal caller for the Blue Devils, they're going to have a chance just because of the dual threat nature that he has and the mindset that he brings to the game. Dave Harding, Duke radio analyst. So how good does this get then? I mean, you look at their schedule. How are they not 4-0 heading into the game against Notre Dame on September 30th? And then the rest of the way there, only needing two wins to get to that bowl eligibility and maybe even better. Their win total before the season began at 6.5, but that's a win against Clemson that can really change the outlook for a win total perspective. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, There are a lot of people coming into the year. They're like, you know, Duke had a great season last year. You win nine games. You shocked everybody. Mike Elko in his first year as a head coach, uh, kind of beginner's luck, I guess, if you will. And then, you know, good luck recreating that moving forward, especially with a schedule that is much tougher than it was a season ago. And then you kind of silence all of that doubt in week one by picking up this win over the top 10 team. And you mentioned the next couple of games. I mean, I think the best way that you can look at this if you're a Duke football player or fan is you got to just start stacking wins. And I think the from a belief perspective and knowing that you've got the talent. And last night, looking at a comparison of position groups on the field, I don't know the last time that you could say this about a Duke football team, but when it came to a comparison between Clemson, number nine, and unranked Duke, I think Duke had a wash or maybe a slight advantage in just about every position group comparison. So if that's something that they can take into the rest of the games, they still got a tough schedule. They're hosting NC State at home. You mentioned Notre Dame. They've got Florida State on the road later in the year. I mean, it's definitely going to be tough, but they've got a chance to really use this as a springboard and start stacking these wins. Dave, we've got about 45 seconds remaining. Clemson, when you look at them in comparison to the rest of the ACC, what is still their opportunity in terms of where you think they could go? I got a feeling that they still have a lot of improvement to do between week one and week two. They've got a chance to iron some things out. They've got people in the right position. Cade Klubnick's a good quarterback. He won three consecutive state titles in high school in Texas. Very difficult thing to do. Um, I think their defense, the nucleus of that defensive front, two linebackers are going to be playing on Sundays. Once they figure out more of their offensive woes and going to go through some growing pains with a new offensive coordinator, I think they've got a chance to be really good. Will Shipley, he's going to be your bell cow running the football. Wide receiver, somebody's got to step up there to be a deep play threat. They need to find someone to go to in the wide receiver Dave Harding again, Duke Radio Analyst. Dave, we appreciate some time. Have a good season, man, and thanks for it. Thank you, guys. Got it. Dave Harding Jr. up on Twitter. If you want to give a follow, X, I apologize. 
Can't wait to see it. That's like we talked about, safety with Colorado. That's a win that makes a difference on a win total. To win as a you know double-digit underdog, that's you could essentially not chalk it up, but you're going to be upset if you don't go over that win total if you bet it. All right, when we come back, Kenny Albert, NFL and Fox announcer, is going to be with us. He's got a pretty good game on deck this weekend. We'll discuss. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the sports betting network. Best Thursday of the year is coming up, and it's all about NFL opening night. Football's back in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is hooking up new customers with a can't-miss offer to celebrate. Place your first $5 NFL bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Don't wait till kickoff to get in on the hype. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHARP. New customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5. That's code SHARP. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. I've had this $5 bill in my pocket for like five, six, seven days. I don't know why, but it's every time I think about it when I have that. All right, let's talk some football, man. It is around the corner, and Kenny Alvarez is nice enough to give us some time here today. The name might sound familiar. He's going to be with the Jags and Colts. Week one, best game on the board as an Indianapolis Colts fan. There's no bias there. You can also check out Kenny's new book coming up, A Mic for All Seasons. You can find that wherever you get your books. I think we say that with podcasts. Well, Kenny, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Uh, so let's start with this. As I said, I'm a Colts fan. Is there an excitement for you to watch the next Hall of Fame quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, Anthony Richardson, this weekend? Well, there really is. First of all, thanks for having me on uh, as we look forward to week one in the NFL season. But um, no, really excited uh, to get things started with my partners, Jonathan Vilma and Shannon Spake. It's the 30th season of the NFL on Fox, which is Kind of hard to believe. Yesterday was the 29th anniversary of the first game I called, which was the L.A. Rams prior to moving to St. Louis uh, when they took on the Arizona Cardinals back on 9-4-94. But uh, this year we start in Indy, and we're looking forward to watching Anthony Richardson uh, watch the last preseason game against the Eagles, and uh, should be a lot of fun. Jacksonville coming off uh, a great second-half run, uh, won a playoff game last year, so uh, couldn't be more excited to be heading to Indy this weekend. Kenny, when you look at this matchup, the Jacksonville Jaguars had a good year last year. What are your expectations potentially for this team? Well, I think they should have playoff aspirations once again. Uh, Doug Peterson's done a terrific job. Uh, they started the year 2-6 and six last season and then went 7-2 and two down the stretch and had the big comeback in the playoffs. They won their last five games, so I think it's onward and upward uh, for the Jaguars. And on the, on the other side, you have the Colts, who really struggled during the second half of the season, losing their last seven games. They have a new head coach, new quarterback. And, you know, week one, everybody has the same record. So uh, a lot of excitement all around the league. And, uh, you know, I know you guys will have a close eye on the Thursday night game and then all of the other matchups Sunday and Monday. So in your – because you've done – we were actually just talking about this before we had you on. I know you've been on a lot of baseball games. You've been all over the place. You work a lot. Have you had a chance to watch the preseason version of Anthony Richardson? What, what have you thought of what you've seen from him in a Colts uniform? Uh, saw bits and pieces early in the preseason, and then I watched the entire game, uh, the last game against the Eagles. And, you know, obviously started only 13 games in college. He's young, but uh, I know there's so much excitement in Indianapolis. Um, you know, unfortunately, he won't have Jonathan Taylor there for the first four weeks, but some other good uh, young weapons on the Colts' offense. But, you know, you look at his size, first of all, and the arm strength, the athleticism, and, you know, just seems pretty poised. And from what I've read, uh, you know, really smart, uh, both on and off the field. So 
Uh, we'll sit down with him on Friday, so I could probably give you a better answer after that when we meet with him uh, at the Colts facility on Friday afternoon, but impressed with what I've seen so far. Kenny, obviously the Jets signed Aaron Rodgers. What are your expectations of what the Jets could be this year? I, I think they could have a real strong year. Uh, last year, you look at their defense, one of the top units in the league under Robert Sala, and they have some really terrific young playmakers on the offensive side, and then they bring in Aaron Rodgers and Dalvin Cook, and I really feel like if, if Rodgers stays healthy, this could certainly be a playoff team uh, and a team that could perhaps uh, go pretty far in the postseason. Um, you know, he's a guy I've watched, you know, as, as you have for almost two decades now, and I've called a lot of his games, and I've had a chance to sit down with him on numerous occasions in preparing for those games, and, um, you know, he's got a great attitude. He really seems to be enjoying his time in the New York area. Uh, both on and off the field, you know, he's been to Knicks playoff games, Rangers playoff games. He was out at the U.S. Open a couple of days ago enjoying the tennis. And, you know, reading his quotes, he, he just seems uh, so happy. It's a fresh start. And as he said, not to disparage any, any of the people or times that he had in Green Bay, but it's, it's a whole new experience. Um, he talked about the view going through the Lincoln Tunnel into Manhattan and just, you know, just gazing at all the buildings and, and attending all these sporting events. Uh, you know, certainly, and, and I love Green Bay. It's one of my favorite places to go, and I'm looking forward to a week three game there uh, that our crew has against New Orleans. But it, I'm sure it's a whole different world for Aaron Rodgers uh, living in New Jersey and, and being so close to New York. Kenny Albert with us, play-by-play voice on Fox Sports. So, so uh, let's talk about the news of the day. Travis Kelsey, hyperextended knee. Uh, you know, focusing on Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, the questions were already about the wide receiver room. What was your expectations for Kansas City with a second consecutive season of, hey, the pass catchers maybe aren't there outside of Kelsey, and now him with a knee injury? Right, that would obviously be a big blow, depending on how much time he would miss. I just saw the reports a little while ago. Uh, but I still think the Chiefs, you know, as long as Patrick Mahomes is there and Andy Reid, uh, certainly one of the favorites in the AFC. And I was so impressed in watching uh, so far the first four episodes of the quarterback series on Netflix. And you really had a, a close look at the inner workings and, and Patrick Mahomes uh, on the other six days of the week uh, when he's working out both at the Chiefs facility and, and with his own personal trainers. The amount of work, you know, I think we all assumed how much work goes into it with a guy like Mahomes, but to, to actually see it with the cameras behind the scenes, it, it's kind of astounding, uh, you know, because 30, 40 years ago, you know, the quarterbacks weren't, weren't doing this stuff off the field. And, and now you see so many of them who, uh, you know, not only during the hours they spend at the team facility, but uh, the, the amount of time they put in elsewhere, and, and that's certainly one of the reasons why Mahomes is, is, is you know, one of the best, if not the best, quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He's great, but since you watched him recently, he's kind of an exaggerator, right? Like Max Crosby was not punching him that hard in the first episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did see that episode. You know, it's the gamesmanship. And, uh, again, I haven't finished the series, but, um, no, you're right. You know, that, that goes on, I'm sure, all the time. I, I used to hear the stories from uh, one of my former broadcast partners, the late, great Tony Siragusa. <laughs> Uh, and he would always talk about, you know, what really goes on at the bottom of those piles and some of the conversations. You know, I remember him, we, we sat down with Brett Favre before a Packers game, and they were reliving uh, one of the games they had played against each other where they were just giving it to each other on the opposite sides of the line of scrimmage about uh, uh, Brett was, you know, just, just commenting on how big Tony's head was and how, how does it fit inside the helmet. So, you know, th those are some of the stories that, you know, you don't get to hear until – 
you know, you're with one of the, the people involved, or or perhaps you do if they're mic'd up. But uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to watch and hear about that kind of stuff. Kenny, off topic, take people through what a week is like for you when the season starts. You travel, you meet with how many players, coaches, different from when those two teams, when you have the team meetings, and just what it's like. I, I don't think too many people have an insight into what a play-by-play guy does besides the three to four hours than when they're on air. Well, I, I probably don't spend as much time as coaches do because you hear all those crazy stories about Joe Gibbs sleeping in his office back in the day or John Gruden waking up at 3.17 every morning, but... Uh, it is a lot of hours, and I've never really tallied it up, but I think during the football season it's probably anywhere between 20, 30, 40 hours when, when you add it all up, uh, Monday through Thursday. And I know you're scheduled to have Ian Eagle on as well, and I'm sure he'll <laughs> tell you the same thing. But the first four days of the week, um, whether it's myself, my analyst Jonathan Vilma, Shannon Spake, who's our sideline reporter, the producer, director, we're all on our own wherever we are, either home or, or on the road, in my case, doing other sports uh, come October. And I really start Monday morning uh, watching each team's previous game and, and preparing charts and spotting boards and going through press releases and statistics and every article that I can get my hands on from both cities. And then Friday, we usually fly in in the morning to the home city. We'll go to practice. We'll sit down with three or four or five players and coaches from the home team We'll do the same thing with the visiting team when they get to their hotel on Saturday. And then we have our own production meeting Saturday night where we go over some of the storylines and the graphics and the video elements. So we don't just show up at 12.59 on, on Sunday. Um, there's a lot of work and travel involved, but it's fun. You know, it beats doing something you hate for a living, sitting at a desk, uh, you know, for 9, 10 hours a day. It's, it's just a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, this is year 30, like I said, and, uh, my book's coming out next month, A Mike for All Seasons, and I tell a lot of stories about the preparation and the travel and the, and the 225-plus color analysts that I've worked with and memorable, game, memorable games from each sport. So, um, again, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but I, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Yep, released on October 10th, so make sure you check that out again, the title, Mike for All Seasons, three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics. Kenny, we appreciate the time. You do awesome work. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. You Thank got you. It. Yeah, you should look at the uh, play-by-play. Like, we have our own Ben Wilson, who's a very professional, yeah. buttoned-up man. Um, the charts that these guys come up with play-by-play-wise, Kenny's got one on his Twitter account, the celebration of the 30th anniversary like set on Fox. It's insanity. It really is. I know. I've talked to Ian Eagle about that. It's incredible. That's what your prep looks like. 100%. My, 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 prep is make, my prep is making sure I hit the dry cleaner once a month and the shirt's ready to go. All right, we'll come back. we got plenty left, uh, including we mentioned Ian Eagle's going to be with us too in the next hour. Updated NFL betting guides out now throughout the NFL preseason. The VSN experts have been reevaluating every team to give you the betting edge. Our updated NFL betting guide has picks from every on-hero host, team-specific preseason analysis, and more. If you want the best and most comprehensive collection of picks, predictions, and previews, now is the time to become a VSN Pro subscriber for as low as 19 bucks. Sign up today at VSN.com/slash subscribe. 
We welcome back here on Sharp Money. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Patrick Maher. Amal Shah is here as well. Let's welcome in our next guest, Ian Eagle, who is nice enough to give us some time. NFL on CBS, where you know him from, has Bengals Browns for week one. Ian, we appreciate it, but uh, these guys aren't really going to understand what I'm about to go with here. How the Brooklyn Nets looking this year, huh? How are the Brooklyn Nets looking? <laughs> We're getting priorities in order. That's we? right. Like everybody's focused on the NFL. And you want to know if Darius Beasley is going to be a good fit right. for the Brooklyn Nets. I am That's a, where we're at. I, uh, I love it. I'm our lead NBA guy, so I, I, I have a, a curiosity. So, all right, let's start with the game you've got this weekend, uh, Bengals-Browns. From what you've been getting ready for for this game, I wanted to start with Cleveland. I've kind of called them the fly in the ointment in the AFC North. What are your expectations for Cleveland, and what have you seen from Deshaun Watson that would make you think one way or the other? Yeah, highly competitive division, I think. Cincinnati is among the upper echelon teams in the NFL. You've got a Baltimore team with Lamar Jackson now signed, sealed, delivered, some improvements in the receiving game. So you presume that's a team that's going to be a factor come December. Pittsburgh has been the sneaky, sexy pick once the preseason got underway. I thought they were flying under the radar. And then all of a sudden, Mike Tomlin plays his starters. Kenny Pickett looks like gold. The chemistry with Pickens, everybody's jumped on board. And then there's Cleveland, a team that won seven games last year. Obviously uh, a very uh, slippery slope in what they did at the quarterback position, paying Deshaun Watson guaranteed money, 11-game suspension. And he comes back, and he doesn't look like the Deshaun Watson that we remembered from 2020 before the the basic two-year hiatus. So that's the question. If he can recapture his form, if if he is the player that we saw developing in Houston into one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, Cleveland's got pieces. Their offensive line is top five in the NFL. They make a change of defensive coordinator with Jim Schwartz, so you're going to see an aggressive mentality. And they've got Nick Chubb, stud running back. So uh, I think there are Browns fans that believe if Deshaun Watson is who they think he could be, this might be one of those celebratory seasons for the Browns. And before we get started, I was told by my producer, I have to say, Jim Nance does a tremendous job. As you recall, last time I went <laughs> off on that, but that's another story. So anyway, I was, I, in there, I was praising Ian. He couldn't act, actually acknowledge it. He went with the full congressional run for office there. He just didn't say hey, anything. I appreciate it. At least it. you're doing exactly what Dustin told you uh, not I, to I, do. I wanted to annoy him. That's why I did it. But anyway, This Browns team has had some good success against the Bengals. What do you think it is about Cleveland that they've been so successful about Cincinnati? We know the talent is there on both sides for both teams, but it just seems like they have their number a little bit more so than people would realize if they don't look at the numbers of the past. Yeah, I should mention I did win my local assemblyman uh, (laughs) contest. That was last September, so I'm, I'm considering running again. We'll see. We'll see what the polls say. Uh, Yeah, I I think when you're familiar with someone, sometimes you can throw out some of the trends and some of the numbers. There's a certain air of familiarity between these two franchises that goes way, way back. And while none of it matters from the 1970s and the 1980s and the 1990s and the aughts, this current version, for whatever reason, Kevin Stefanski has has found some things that, that work against the Cincinnati team that has been the more consistent franchise the last couple of years. What's the difference? Well, the Bengals now have some mystique. They've got three tremendous wide receivers, maybe the best Troika in the NFL, and 
They've got Joe Burrow. They've got a, a quarterback that, as long as they can figure out the contract situation, they should be good for a very long time. The issue with the Bengals last year, from if you remember, offensive line, they addressed that. Uh, they they go out and make a, a huge splash in free agency, getting Orlando Brown Jr. They sign him to a big contract. The questions might come at tight end, whether or not they believe in Irv Smith Jr., and then some changes at safety. And these are guys that they're now going to lean on, and Dax Hill, a second-year safety, and then Nick Scott, who was originally a seventh-round draft pick of the Rams, and and they paid him good money to to step in and replace guys that had been proven. So if you're looking for some openings there with Cincinnati, there aren't a whole lot, but that might be the area in which there could be some vulnerabilities moving forward. Ian Eagle with us, NFL and CBS. Maybe one of the vulnerabilities as well, and it's, it was weird, Joe Burrow actually spoke to this before he got injured in the offseason. Would be a slow start, right, with Burrow having to deal with what he did yeah. before getting the season started. What are your expectations for Burrow coming off of an injury like that? Because we talk about history, right? Well, the Bengals, as Burrow noted, do have a history of slow starts. They do, and I had that game last year. It was Pittsburgh-Cincinnati, one of the stranger opening season games I've done, and I've done a bunch of them, but that, that was one that, that stood out. Nobody could make a kick. Uh, you had uh, a snapper go down with an injury, which is a rarity, so you had a backup snapper, which affected the outcome of the game, and Pittsburgh slipped by with an OT win over Cincinnati. They backed it up with a loss in Dallas, and everybody was starting to question the Bengals, how – this team was responding after going to the Super Bowl and uh, going through maybe some of the lumps of having a, a target on your back. But look at what they did last season. Look at what they did in the playoffs. They were a play away, basically, from going to the Super Bowl again. And then who knows if they're playing Philadelphia in the Super Bowl, if their experience may have been enough to, to get them over the top. So the margins are so slim when you get to this level of team the Kansas Cities, the Cincinnati's, the Buffaloes. Those are the three teams that, that we put in a certain classification. And then there's that, that next level of, at least in the AFC, of teams that could be in the hunt if things go a certain way. That's where the Jets pop in. That's where the Chargers may pop in. And then you get opinions uh, based on uh, who you root for and, and what kind of what teams you like to be a, a real January NFL team. But I, I think Joe Burrow is going to be just fine. They're not going to push it here in week one. There's a reason why they've kept it quiet, and odds are you're going to see him there Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock Eastern. You mentioned the Jets. You call preseason games for them. Tell me what you like about this team and one or two areas of concern for you. A lot of confidence from the group going in there, talking to them, talking to the head coach, having a sit-down with Aaron Rodgers. There's a real belief that they have something. Now, you know, look, we all have watched Hard Knocks through the years. It's hard not to like the team that's featured in Hard Knocks, and we tend to, to maybe pay a little more attention the first few weeks to see if, if it actually translates to the field. The difference for me is that I actually got to see behind the scenes, and it wasn't just a, a dramatic editing of what's happening. It, it was a real depiction of of what this team believes they're embracing the expectations they're not shying away from them they're not tempering them with every press conference and Aaron Rodgers has brought uh, a real sense of purpose and likability which 
I think maybe was the biggest surprise of everybody out there. How was he going to handle it? This is a really young team, but it's a young and talented team. So I think they recognize the, the window is now. This is not, hey, let's plan for 2025, 26. They're trying to win now. And that mentality will lead you to make decisions like acquiring Dalvin Cook and shoring up your running back room. The offensive line, that's going to be the one area of concern. Dwayne Brown on the left side, Makai Becton on the right side. Uh, to me, if, if you're looking for an Achilles heel, that's the one that, that could bring this thing down like a house of cards because if you can't protect Aaron Rodgers, you're not winning at the level that they're expecting to. Ian, we'll get you out of here on this last uh, minute or so. Uh, you called the Jets games. What did you think of Bryce Young in that game? Uh, that game, if you remember that Carolina game, he didn't do a whole lot. Yep. They, they kept it very vanilla, uh, the Jets. Definitely wanted to make him feel them, and there was a, a real get-to-the-quarterback mentality. Everything I heard talking to the people associated with the Panthers has been positive, that there's a maturity there, uh, there's a leadership that, that you can just tell and a presence, but you guys know, I know, it it's all comes down to what you do on the field. At that position, in this stage of your career, the results are what dictates how people feel about you. You get a little bit of a honeymoon, and then at some point, the fans, the media, management, coaches, teammates, they want to actually see it. They want to see it on film. Ian Eagle. Hey, we're looking forward to hearing your voice this weekend. Thank you for the time, sir. We appreciate it. Guys, you got it. Also, uh, we should mention Kenny Albert's book. You should get another pop. There you go. I like it. All right. Appreciate it, man. Do it. That was a good one. Iron Eagle. Thank you for the time. A mic for all seasons, by the way. We'll give it the pop. There's, that's what it's called. All right. We'll, come, we'll take our break. We'll come back. We have plenty left in 15 minutes. Adam Burke, MLB college football analyst. Just listened to the college football betting pod this morning. It was great. We'll talk to him about everything we watched over the weekend coming up in 20 here on Sharp Money. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.